Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast, where we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring quality professionals within the healthcare industry. Our podcast will dive into the career journeys of leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. And now, your host, Jarvis Gray. Hello, quality people, healthcare leaders, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and welcome to episode number 65 of the Healthcare Quality Cast, powered by the Quality Coaching Company. And I am jumping right in with my introduction because the industry accolades and contributions of today's guest can probably fill up half of this episode alone. My guest today, Dr. Vania Singh, served as both the Chief Medical Officer for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and as the Acting Regional Director of Region 9 under the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Health. And just in case you're not familiar, this is a position that reports directly to the presidential appointees, and candidates in these roles have to top the charts for the executive core qualifications listed in the areas of leading change, leading people, being results-driven, their business acumen, and ability to build coalitions. During her time in office at HHS, Dr. Singh helped to launch the national pain strategy aimed at combating the opioid epidemic by serving as chairperson of the Pain Management Best Practices Interagency Task Force that launched as part of the 2016 Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act. Today, she is currently on faculty at Stanford University, where she serves as clinical associate professor of anesthesiology, pain, and perioperative medicine, and is a teaching mentor at the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. Here in episode number 65, Dr. Singh starts our show with a leadership mindset of keeping clarity and cutting out the noise. Dr. Singh shares her impressive background with us and quality people. Let's just say that she's our first podcast guest with her very own Wikipedia page. Dr. Singh shares her best moment of failure that literally hinges on an act of Congress and how perseverance drove her and her team to success. She teaches us how she builds close team connections by focusing on the human side of leadership. Dr. Singh gives us thoughtful reflections on what it takes to develop personally as a leader. She shares her best aha moment that works to achieve balance between her personal and professional lives. She tells us what she's excited about around the future of healthcare and public health. And Dr. Singh gives us her best career advice, encouraging us to stay at it and to be great. Dr. Singh, it is easy to be impressed by you and the amazing path that you've blazed, but I have to confess that it's also the little details like your involvement with the Boys and Girls Club that stands out to me because I am a product of that program. It's the support for STEM activities and initiatives that stand out to me because I am an engineer, and it's your passion that I saw from watching your videos for advancing patient-centered care and improving health outcomes that drew me in to work up the nerves to invite you on this podcast, and then you enthusiastically said yes, and for that, I thank you and I salute you. Quality people, please use this episode as an opportunity first to welcome Dr. Singh as a new alum to our growing roster of impressive guests. And secondly, as a nudge to start learning the industry leaders throughout the government that work daily to improve healthcare through policy, influence, and thought leadership, I look forward to your feedback on today's episode via our LinkedIn group, and please be sure to drop us a rating and review on iTunes. Have a safe and productive week, everyone, and we'll see you back next week when we drop our first ever two-part episode. All right. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with um, a wonderful, amazing guest. I'm very proud and honored to have you join the show, uh, Dr. Vania Singh. Uh, Dr. Singh, are you ready to share with some quality people? Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here today and thank you for the invite. Wonderful. Well, thank you. I, I will honestly say, Dr. Singh, um, to date on this podcast, we have not had any leaders who have literally led trillion dollar organizations. So you are really setting a new bar for us. So I thank you so much for coming on. But uh, Dr. Singh, we love to start every episode with um, getting our positive affirmations going, some positive momentum. So I would love if you could, um, for the first question, just share with us your favorite leadership quote or leadership mindset, but also share with us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? 
Certainly. So um, just to step back, I, I think being a physician for so many years, you do have and develop leadership qualities, even when you're not aware. When you make decisions, you have to be decisive. You have to weigh risks and benefits and, and take a leap of faith uh, with really important things in front of you. Then translate that to being in the public health arena where I served as chief medical officer. And in that regard, it was um, from a higher 40,000 foot uh, view, making uh, decisions that would ultimately hopefully translate to patients and better outcomes. And I think what really matters is that keeping that clarity um, is very important in terms of leadership because you can cut out the noise and the noise, it can be distracting. It can actually make your day and your perspective change. So having the clarity to me helps me be a better leader, whether it's in the trenches or um, leading um, a large organization. Well, and that is, I think, really solid, really wonderful feedback, especially now, you know, we're obviously taping this at the time of, of a brand new uh, pandemic, and there's a lot of noise out there. Um, so I hope that's going to be a really good takeaway for our leaders when they get this episode. Um, it's just the opportunity to cut out the no noise and stay clear on your focus. So thank you for that. Um, and Dr. Singh, I, I would love to get into your background. Um, just again, with our audience um, who are going to plug in with this episode, you um, kind of started to touch on it. Um, former chief medical officer, I would let you kind of dig in and share with us um, kind of some of the background there if you're okay with it and and currently uh, a professor at Stanford. So uh, Dr. Singh, I would love if you could share with us um, really quickly just your current role, some of your past professional backgrounds and experience and share with us absolutely what led you into this career path and you know how did it how did it all kind of start and come together for you? Thank you, Jarvis. Yeah, it's always, you know, giving an opportunity to talk about oneself, you know, <laughs> um, it's, it's um, something that I think one has to do with some fair reason and realisticness. I served as the chief medical officer it, at HHS in the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Health, which is a focus on public health. And in that capacity, uh, we were addressing uh, many different things that came from various parts of the HHS agency, and that uh, would be public health related. Of course, one of the major issues then that was declared a public health emergency and actually still is, is the opioid crisis, the illicit drug crisis, and really how pain management parlays into that. Because of that, I had the great honor also of chairing the um, congressionally mandated Best Practices Pain Management Task Force, which uh, came from the CARA legislation that um, was very specific in who they wanted on it. So it's a level of expertise from around the nation, academics, uh, other government uh, like NIH, CDC, FDA, uh, but folks with backgrounds in mental health, addiction, of course, pain management, surgery, primary care. We had, we had patients and we had our veteran service organizations. We had the Department of Defense and the VA. And when I think about the true honor of having the opportunity to uh, come up with what the Congress was asking us, which was what are best practices for such a vast topic at a very important time in our nation's history, it was very humbling, but you also roll up the sleeves and, and it's about stepping up to uh, the call to duty at that time. And uh, it, it's amazing how you, when you think about it, if I had to think about it too long, I would have probably worried, but just being in it, thrown in it and wanting to do it was really exciting. And it was a, a lot of work, a lot of management of people, um, both in the task force, but my own staff and other folks. Uh, and that was really, that was something, you know, you learn in those moments, you also learn how uh, it's important to be courageous to lead, but courageous to even be vulnerable at times and allowing people in when uh, sometimes you're not certain where they want to take it. So it's, um, it, was, it was a lot of uh, very uh, important situations that um, allowed me to really develop uh, a leadership style that some have said to me is really developing consensus and bringing so many different perspectives often felt very passionately, but bringing them together so that we could have um, some solid science-based but compassionate patient-centered uh, 
document that had breadth and depth. And along with that, I also served as the acting regional health administrator for the Western states. And that was also from the public health perspective. But there, there was so much in this uh, realm that I felt was just ex extraordinary uh, in terms of an experience for myself. Well, and, and Dr. Singh, I would love to, um, just if you could take uh, an additional minute or two, um, could you highlight your professional background? I know physician is the, the obvious, but I would love to maybe also um, ask around any business training, obviously leadership training, or just anything from professional certifications, professional, or I guess continuing development. Um, and then I'll tack on one more, but um, a large mix of our audience are quality improvement professionals, be it Lean Six Sigma, data and analytics, and so forth, um, in addition to just your typical healthcare leader. So anything from a quality standpoint, just to to give us a little deeper understanding of just the the amazing background you're coming to our show with. Well, yes, thank you. I, you know, when you go back and think about what are the things, I think even preceding medical school, I have a background in molecular and cell biology, but I also did a second major in economics uh, when I was at Berkeley. And I um, really appreciate to this day that statistical math analytical background and, and really just an understanding of um, market forces and, and different economic models and the impact that has in, in, uh, in um, healthcare. Uh, I also would credit, in addition to the traditional training that went into being um, a physician, specifically an anesthesiologist, which is a very solutions-oriented field, uh, a very enabling field, and then uh, pain management was, I did, I had done a master's in professional development at, at USC, it was an online platform. It took me about four years doing it half-time while I was working full-time. And in that master's, which I think a lot of graduate degrees have, were, were leadership classes. There was um, a, a lot of emphasis. Uh, it was certainly on education and developing education and how do you teach uh, to adult um, you know, learners who are medical students or graduate students. But a lot of it was understanding the psychology, your own um, uh, you know, MBTI scores, and going through various different scenarios and, and how you would approach things. And I think that only further uh, to allow more um, ability and confidence to bring out that which is within uh, many or all of us actually. And so I, I think back, I think the economics, I think having that additional master's, um, which is in academic medicine, and it was looked to be focused on the teaching part, the education part of what I was doing, but it actually had a great emphasis on leadership, which was a huge bonus uh, and I think contributes uh, in many ways to understanding yourself and how you effectively uh, lead and, and go for better outcomes. Awesome. Thank you for those extra just insights. Um, again, just for me, when I came across your profile uh, through LinkedIn and um, did my own personal research. I was really just uh, beyond impressed, in all fairness, just with your background and obvious positions that you've held. Um, so thank you for that added insight. And hopefully, again, some of our um, listeners will research and dig in because a lot of our listeners are taking a, a lot of really good feedback from the audience and the, the leaders we've had on the podcast to add to their um, personal development profile. So I appreciate that. Um, Next question I have for you, Dr. Singh, I'm going to move you down. And um, typically, I call this question kind of our dark place question, because I would love mm -hmm. to get you to take us on a journey through your leadership focus in healthcare um, to a moment that we call the best moment of failure. And the real takeaway we're looking to get from this is just that experience, that lessons learned. And if you could share it at a high level, but definitely share with us kind of the decision processes you were going through to turn that moment around and those invaluable moments that you learned that now, you know, continue to help you grow in your career path. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. If someone had to come up just one, I think that wouldn't be really honest. There are m many moments I'll give an example of a moment, but I probably wouldn't say it's the worst moment. Uh, I think it was uh, really when uh, things came to a head with my staff and uh, the work that we had in terms of how do we move forward with who's going to do what. And we had 
specific deadlines um, that we had to meet uh, in, in the whole federal bureaucratic processes. Um, and um, it's really actually specifically because it was a congressional act and the act itself had laid out a, a timeline. And um, when working backwards, I realized we were in fact in danger of not making that timeline. It was uh, made more dramatic and your audience may appreciate this by the partial government shutdown back then. And, uh, and, and so there was, there was a moment where it seemed like we were not going to be able to cross that hurdle and therefore meet the deadlines down the road. And truly, you know, people don't think about um, if, if you miss something, it's often a means to be criticized, uh, perhaps by people who may not have, have different agendas to what the task force, which was, again, a huge, broad perspective um, group with so much expertise in so many different arenas, but there's always folks who want um, what they want because it serves their own purposes, right? And what we were trying to do is really do and meet all the overt criteria so that the um, amazing work that was coming out of the task force, and it was clear to us it was, it was special because of the feedback we were getting from so many medical and professional organizations that we really wanted to see it through. And there was this moment when I would say I was very concerned for about 24 to 48 hours that we were not going to be able to um, move forward uh, by, you know, getting uh, something posted by a certain time so that three months down the road, we had met the 90-day posting uh, time period that was required for public comments. And I was very concerned. And, you know, and I will say this, uh, perseverance, you know, even to the point where you may perhaps, um, you know, annoy a few people in the process, but that translated to uh, someone making an extra effort and uh, allowing us to actually get what we needed done within 24 hours. Uh, we thought it was um, not possible, but I kept making phone calls um, and uh, was able to get through to somebody who was sympathetic and figured out a way that we could do it. And so I just feel like, you know, that, that, those 48 hours, I felt uh, concerned that somehow I should have worked backwards and really ensure that we were not going to be up against that deadline. Um, and I think rather than put energy into what should have been, it's really switching the energy to what needs to be. And that was a learning lesson for me. It did turn out right. We didn't. We really didn't have a choice. But there was time there where I felt I really should have just had my eye on the ball on that. And um, you know, I'm happy to say that it turned out okay. But for 48 hours, I I was certain it hadn't. Well, no, I appreciate that. And let me ask you this kind of a tag on question, uh, Dr. Singh. But um, I was recently just talking with a healthcare leader about the need to kind of build agility into our decision-making processes as healthcare leaders. Um, just curious, maybe from your point of view, given that scenario, but have you ever had an instant where instance where you found that um, the team you were working with or the system you were working with actually had a you know really good agility that allowed you to um, assess the situation and make some kind of on-the-call uh, decisions and it worked out? Do you have any kind of best practice examples around that? Oh, yeah. I think those are the most important times when you have, you know, you can have, it's like you can have a plan and, ex and an expectation how things would go, but it's usually um, things that don't work right and go along that plan that, um are really the challenges that we face. And I, and I think um, your audience will appreciate that it's how you rise to those challenges that make uh, a difference in outcomes, uh, and no matter what the outcomes are, whether they're clinical or they're at a policy level uh, and so forth. I would say that there was many a time when um, I had um, come up with a, a, you know, a situation where in, in normal, business hours, we can never have gotten the work done. And so I had a time where a three very reliable people were willing to go above and beyond and literally to get the work done, to be willing to um, on the spot make the decision that we were just going to work until the wee hours of the morning, until really, um, you know, dawn. 
that, that type of situation has happened many times, and those are decisions on the go. Uh, people have other duties and jobs and, and um, responsibilities, uh, but um, when you can foresee the situation and you know that you have to act, uh, I think those are the times that you um, can really distinguish who is, who's vested and who isn't. And I, it, it also helps to identify and know who those people are who are willing to step up to the plate, who showcase reliability. And having a 29-person task force is almost unwieldy. And that was almost the minimum amount we could have to meet congressional requirements. But what was really key were some key people who are just willing to go and do the research and help you out and call you up or pick up the phone when you need it and um, allow for that um, kind of on-the-fly moment where a situation is developing and um, you can make the decision at the time uh, because you have these folks who are willing to help you get more information or whatever it might be. Uh, but I think those are key moments. Those are actually what, what are often the deciding factors amongst other factors to success um, or, or maybe, you know, not so successful. Oh, absolutely. And I, I agree. I couldn't even start to imagine what a real life situation room looks like in your world. So um, thank you. just for kind of <laughs> You know, the operating room, I mean, some of the best examples are really when you're in the operating room. And I, I always say that it's not about just being in the operating room. It's that it's, it's a great example of what you really have to translate to real life. You know, and there are many times in the operating room where you are at a critical point, you have to make a decision and which way you want to go because these are often unexpected cases, right? Where something turns bad. It could be that there was an, um, it's a trauma or an unexpected uh, issue in the patient that was subclinical and not diagnosed. How is your decision-making and are you flexible? Do, or do you see any opportunity? Opportunity doesn't just mean that you're taking advantage of a situation. You see an opportunity to improve a situation and, and being able to be nimble and flexible. I think it's so important. Uh, and, and that's where um, rigidity can come in the way, you know, uh, routine is so important, but you have to be able to uh, leave that routine as situations call. And we are, just like you said, in the moment right now where we're witnessing a major public health uh, pandemic, and people have to know that the, the folks, the leaders in this realm, who, by the way, are the ones I was working with, um, how they're addressing this when it's a fluid situation is um, really going to be reflected in their leadership style to not stay stubborn with something that you wanted to believe from day one, but rather being fluid and able to change as a situation may emerge, as the data may change, as um, different stories, as we see the um, virus emerge. That's that I think that's a sign of leadership. If if everyone was rigid and routines right now, we would of course not not be able to beat this. But it's about being fluid. And I, I again appreciate that entire soundbite. That was essentially the situation with the leader that I was having a conversation with. That that brought that question to mind to ask you was with how we were responding um, here with a team that I'm working with in Atlanta. So um, that was mm -hmm. a, an amazing, just extra sign by there. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> That's good. Gonna okay. move you to the next question, Dr. Singh, because um, again, this um, is now a, a chance where I'll try to turn the rest of our conversation into a very productive one um, after we get the, the dark moment question out of the way. But uh, would love, Dr. Singh, if you could give our audience or quality people that tip or tool or a tactic that you found works really well for building intimate connections within your teams, um, but share with us what it is and how do you apply it? Well, I think the key is this, is understanding not only your team strength and what weaknesses, but your own. And, um, and then, you know, the human part of it, I mean, with my staff, uh, or you know any any of the folks you work with, whether it's over at government, um, I think the key is just to understand what their capabilities are, and that varies from people. Also, their own motivation varies, and like I said, there are some folks who are like born with this um, quality to be able to step up to the um, plate and you know come through on things. Um, they're there before you ask for it, 
those are amazing folks. I had, uh, I had one such person on my team at HHS and she was phenomenal and humble and under, you know, stated and kind of funny, actually had a dry sense of humor, but I picked up that trait in her right away that she would come through when I needed her to, and she would offer her own experience being at HHS for so many years. Um, and then the other person who I was heavily reliant on was um, very protective and uh, understood that um, somebody like me who wants to move the ball and is solutions oriented and is more important than that, patient oriented. Uh, she also knew that it was important that she, she um, kind of, if you will, protect me and uh, ensure that, you know, some of the, the culture that exists at all large institutions um, wasn't going to chew me up right away <laughs> or wouldn't ever chew me up. And I, I will say that, that I learned that I had um, to give my full trust to her. And once she knew that I did that, I mean, there was like no going back because I knew that was something that mattered to her. So it's really engaging and understanding. My other one that I mentioned, she was professional, but brilliant and would step up and would stay late and do what she needed to do to get the right work done. But she wasn't, you know, um, her strength wasn't uh, chatting about gossip or anything. Um, the other person's strength was really about, do you trust me? And then she just went to that. It's really understanding um, the human psychology, uh, the people around you, and, and developing that rapport and knowing your own uh, weaknesses as well. Uh, and I would openly state that to them, you know. Uh, if, if I, if I felt like, um, I could have done something better, I was, it was easy and better for me to state it. I think good people will respect you more for it. Uh, and so that's, yeah, that's something that, you know, you think about, it can be applied in any kind of case scenario, whether you're doing a QI project, uh, which is important and big in medicine and, and public health, uh, at all levels really, it's, it's important to have that camaraderie. And I really believe in the term a few good men, but really a few good people, right? Um, my whole staff was female, but it was really, you don't need a lot of people, you need quality key people. Well, and I, I took from your comments there is building the connections as a team really is respecting the individuals, kind of assessing and understanding them as individuals, kind of giving them the work conditions, that team and com camaraderie conditions that, that allow them to be their best. Um, so that was one takeaway. And then the other takeaway, Dr. Singh, is you, you mentioned it a few times, was just knowing yourself. And I'll say at least for me and my leadership path, um, those both of those elements were things that it took me a while to kind of understand, but you know, now as a healthcare leader, I'm in a much better place than I was, you know, when I started 13 plus years ago, but it did take some time. So I guess maybe a really quick extra tag on, would you have any just additional advice for maybe some of the um, younger leaders that plug in with this show who are just on that path to grow, to try to become their best leader? Um, what are some ways that they can approach just that development process. Was there anything special that you did or was it just uh, the trial by fire approach, you know, jumping into the water and learning <laughs> to swim or uh, just would love to maybe tag that extra question off for you? Yes, certainly. I mean, I think throughout the career, it's, it's I always had respect for those around me who were clearly leading. I think for young folks, it's really important for them to, um, see the real um, wisdom uh, and experience that people have that may not be obvious. Like sometimes when you're young and we were all, all have been guilty of this, you m will miss um, what it is that someone has gone through, right? In terms of battle, right? These are like experienced generals. And you, to pick up um, important things that um, sometimes a young person may glide over and not really understand. I think there are such key lessons to be seen from those around you. If you're working in the healthcare space and you wanna go and lead, I think as a young person remaining um, humble, but um, also aware and um, finding a mentor is very important. Mentorship can't be overestimated uh, because 
it, it is where somebody is willing to take time out to help groom you. And I think that's really important. Um, but I look back and I think back from my early days in medical school or even before that in college, my, my advisor in cell and developmental biology um, and, and some of the things that started to come out then and you look through those years, it is, it, it is um, picking up some of those key nuances um, that become subconscious to you and then unconsciously wanting to understand and see what they've done. I think that humility is, is amazing and also it really gives you a perspective on um, uh, what other people have done. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. We'll always be placed in trial by fire situations. Uh, you know, there's, there's no perfect route. Oftentimes it is a trailblazing um, sort of um, moment. That's how I felt. I mean, a lot of things have, have come my way that I didn't necessarily intend on, but it is about have, being aware that, hey, here's an opportunity to further the pa things that I'm passionate about. And, and jumping on it. And, and these things don't come easy. There's great sacrifice. Um, it is um, not all glamorous. It is, it is hard work. I think anyone who's going to really succeed, you can only skate by for a short amount of time. Those people who succeed, no matter what industry, if you look at their traits, uh, hard work and um, work ethic is every bit a part of it, right? And just like you said, which I really appreciated, Jarvis, what you said is that there, it takes time, right? We, we're only getting better with time. Uh, and for young people, I would say that observe that, learn from that, um, you know, and uh, you'll, you'll be able to glean more and get more so that you're better positioned when the time comes. Because it's, there's no way that this just sort of happens. It, it happens because of the many, many experiences you get in life. Uh, and for those I'm grateful, um, for those who, try, who have taught me, who have mentored me. Uh, I appreciate that. Even the lessons sometimes that were harsh. Uh, I really appreciate that. Those probably were the most powerful along the way. In a nutshell, um, be, be humble and, and try to get some mentorship from those who have gone through these various situations and, and through the battlefield of leadership and learn if you can from them because there's, there's a wealth of information. Well, I'll tell you, Dr. Singh, I, I was fortunate. I had a leader that um, allowed me, um, you know, to take the lead on a number of things that were, at the time, I felt were above my head, but I think he just saw the opportunity for me to grow. And even when, you know, I had to make the scary leadership decisions, he kind of gave me the look like, what are you going to do? And so that was that was kind of my approach, but it was kind of a guided trial by fire approach. But nonetheless, um, that was my experience. So uh, appreciate uh, just again that that extra tag on there. Um, I love to move you to the next question, and um, would love for you to share with us, Doctor, saying one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader. But uh, again, you know, maybe share with us the moment. Um, how did that idea strike you? And definitely share if you were able to turn it into a personal or professional success. Certainly, yeah. So if I understand correctly, just taking um, the moment of being a healthcare leader and, and how that's translated to professional and personal success, right? Yes, um, I, I would say that you, in situations like this, I, I would say you do become a better version of yourself. The professionalism to um, translate that even into regular life is important because it keeps a, um, it keeps um, people take you more seriously when you have that level of professionalism and experience and they can see it in your manner and the way you speak and, and how you're addressing the issues. That is um, something that definitely translates to professional success. Uh, the patients or my colleagues in medicine, leaders in medicine, I speak at many different, uh, you know, conferences and gatherings. And um, I think that it comes through because you have gone through this and you can speak um, more confidently with more definition. That is something that you can't rehearse. I think there are people who may try to be that, but it is clear to people when you are the real deal. And so um, that really ends up I think making you just a better version of yourself. As someone put it to me when I um, 
came back to Stanford at the School of Medicine. Um, he is uh, a wonderful administrative assistant, very bright young man, probably in his 20s. And I had worked with him. Uh, and he, the first thing he said to me was, um, you know, how he noted those differences. And it, things like that, they, I think that that is something I subscribe to. Uh, in the personal life, it's, it's a challenge when you're in the midst of it, um, especially when you have, you're leading and you have a major issue. So then the issue was the opioid crisis and the task force. Right now, I know that our leaders there who are working in the same office I was on the uh, COVID virus, this is um, a, a challenge and it stresses probably the personal relationships right about now, uh, but you come out. Um, if you can keep your personal relationships engaged, for me, it was my children being engaged in it, sharing the process. I think it's a win for everybody. They all enjoy it. They understand it. They appreciate it. You let them into the window a bit. Um, and then when you come out, I think it just, in general, um, can make you better. But that, that's, you know, that's always a tough, um, tough call always to have a balanced life. I mean, there's going to be tougher more time invested in the healthcare leadership moments. And then there's going to be times that you can smartly organize and ensure that you're keeping your life balanced. Perfect, Dan. Uh, I'm really intrigued to pick your thoughts on this next question, Dr. Singh. Um, and, and if it's okay, I'd like to maybe tweak it just a small bit even <laughs> before I deliver it to you. But I would love to um, ask, what are some of the upcoming changes across the healthcare industry? And if you're okay with it, maybe even kind of connected to the public health industry, given your uh, background in both worlds, but we'd love to understand what are current changes across public health and healthcare that you're excited about right now? And what role do you see quality improvement um, and healthcare leaders playing to promote and support us longevity? Yeah, well, that's a super question. I really, I was thinking about that. And I think one of the um, things that I'm excited about that is being demonstrated as we speak, but something that was also emphasized in my time there with the work I did was really a public-private partnership. I think healthcare and public health in general um, does great when you have all players and um, all have a role. Uh, but in, when, when I think about what's exciting about public health and, and quality improvement. There's so much we can do and so much we can do better. And we're, we're, again, just, you can't not make the reference right now to one of the biggest public health issues we've seen in decades is the current um, coronavirus. And, and do you see how uh, the um, public-private partnership is going to really create this new template? Because I don't think we've ever uh, dealt with this on the scale that we are in terms of testing, and how is how does that go together? Also, the consideration of treatments uh, that are immediately um, uh, have immediate consequence to public health. So, vaccinations are um, one where they both um, can affect the individual health, and it's clearly a necessity for public health. And I think the um, various different clinical trials and the exciting, innovative ways that um, we are seeing that the government, the public, and, and our private sector is working together to reach that common goal is really important. And quality improvement um, is another great way that that will happen. I think this is maybe an example in some ways of quality improvement. If we can figure out a template where when the time comes, and it's often unexpected, right, that we come together I think that makes it very exciting to get into both the healthcare field, but specifically public health field, to have someone who has an understanding of the trenches in the clinical trenches or specifically infectious disease or virology, or let's say it's related to illicit drugs um, or mental health. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of some of our bigger public health issues those um, various areas, but also having the out-of-the-box thinking and partnership and knowing where um, the policy can be translated to the person through um, the private sector. So I think that's like a really huge quality improvement template. I didn't even know I was going to go there, actually, but, um, you know, you can't help but think about what's happening in real time around us. 
Uh, and I think it's really exciting uh, because uh, it shows that we're pulling together and there's really no other way to do it. Um, I, I've never believed in the, you know, top down. I think it's got to be really um, all together to address these things better and more effectively than we certainly have in the past. And I'll add on, um, one of the things I was just reading a few days ago in some very strong healthcare markets across the country, um, some of the larger healthcare organizations are starting to create local alliances to pull together to, to at least address the, the current COVID-19 scare. And I mm -hmm. thought that was really, really intriguing. So I'm just curious, maybe whether it's from your past experience with um, with uh, HHS or just even your current view of the healthcare industry, do you see, given the current world we're in, more alliance type models starting to come together or anything of that? Is that something that could be a possible blip on the radar for the near future? Uh, I absolutely believe that. One of the things that I found was really interesting at HHS was that people, uh, when they would want to meet, they obviously, industry, when they would want to meet, had of course, their agenda, which is the, you know, company that was coming forth, but many of them would come forth to say, hey, you guys have noted this as a gap or a need, and by the way, we can fill that, and here's how, and I think when you're in the space of public health, and you're a leader there, and you are, uh, and you know the science, and you understand it, you can also discern those who are authentically there to try and help fulfill that gap, and it was amazing to me just how um, interesting the thinking and innovation was uh, when you just think about the whole opioid crisis um, from folks who were coming up with means to um, test other illicit drugs and do it quicker and cheaper um, uh, to those who were coming up with um, bottles uh, that you know would dispense pills at a certain given time and use technology in an um, app uh, to so many different um, realms, uh, it was it was just fascinating. Um, it, you know, the biopharma industry or the medical device industry, and and just hearing it and seeing it. You, you know, when there's this is an opportunity, but they're already in the space, uh, and here's where they can potentially shine and be a part of the solution. That I really liked, and I think that you, of course, we, you have to be balanced um, and not think of a, a single business entity, but rather. These are the gaps that we see, and this is actually, you know, now there's hope that there's there are folks in this space who want to be there um, and shine. And I think that that's what we're seeing now too. Some of the companies that are involved in um, uh, the development of the vaccine are ones that were already in the space. Some were already looking at the SARS uh, potential vaccine back in the day, so they have the tech technological know-how. The scientific know-how and they're coming forth and they're trying to work along with the government. I, I just think those alliances are going to be a big deal. And just like you said, I, I don't think it has, it's like the federal government and them only. I think it's um, local governments, state governments and their particular needs. Since we're a hugely diverse country in the sense, even from what state to state, the needs are different. The infrastructure is different. The support is different the health systems are different. So what works for one city may not necessarily work for another, uh, but that there are people who will be able to be more specific to that city, I think is great. Wonderful, and maybe, um, so the next official question, but kind of plays into that same thought. So it was a great segue. Um, is there anything from your point of view that the healthcare industry and or the public health um, environment can do to become a more attractive place for talented healthcare leaders, quality improvement professionals to either want to jump in and start and grow their career or for those of us who are here to know that the, the industry is changing and just to stay and maintain and, and take advantage and help push things forward. Absolutely, I, I, I think the, the exciting thing about the healthcare industry in general is that it is scientific, it's you know analytic, it's, um, you know, data driven, but it's compassionate and it's noble and has to remain so that way. Um, and you sort of get that satisfaction out of all that. Uh, and it is always important. And it's at times like these that you realize, hey, you know, our frontline doctors and nurses and stuff, um, this is, you know, crucial that they're there. Um, but 
um, our public health leaders are the ones who have to notice the trends and patterns and make adjustments based on that. And in any manner, I would say that when I was talking about the drug crisis uh, epidemic um, in terms of what where the resources need to go or where we need to focus. But you can clearly see that, you know, that applies to so many different realms. And for those who are in their early careers, I would um, absolutely encourage a different um, you know, uh, ongoing degrees uh, in medicine, um, you know, and then certainly masters help um, accentuate that or, or just going down the masters in public health, PhDs, uh, all of it is, is important, plays a vital role. And, and for, for folks like you, Jarvis, I think we're clearly lucky because you're, you're asking all these great questions and allowing people to talk and network. I mean, you're already doing a great service, but you have to stay in it uh, because we need we need uh, the best talent, we need the best thinkers, the best talent in this realm. And like I said, it's it's a human centric field. It's it's very important, uh, and it's humbling. Well, that is that is an understatement. Um, my years, because I came, Doctor Singh, from out of healthcare into healthcare, and this has definitely been um, the most humbling experience that I never would have planned on for my career or my life. So uh, I definitely agree there. Um, well, Dr. Singh, we are right there at about the halfway point of the show, and I'm going to move us into a part of the show that I call my two-minute drill. Um, so my background, I'm a former football player, and I needed a really cool segue for the uh, podcast, and I came up with a two-minute drill. So not the most original, but um, always like to... Hey, I love football, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. Uh, just wanted to do a really quick check and see if you're ready to rock and roll, because I'm going to throw these at you. Uh, do, uh, very rapid fire style. Okay. All right, wonderful. Let's do um, it. Let's do it. But Dr. Singh, the next question I have for you is a two-parter. I would love you, for you to first tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best and then share with us how do you inspire others within your organization? So uh, certainly, uh, one is I um, love giving uh, talks to um, my residents and fellows and um, I enjoy the one-on-one -on -one interaction and try to motivate them and share my experiences. So it's a tangible uh, person that they know and, and they feel that, hey, not only has, you know, um, my attending done this, but it's, it's within reach for them. I also enjoy speaking to public audiences and sharing my experience when it's relevant, uh, which is why I like this podcast. Uh, but uh, I think it's, um, it's important that those who are, um, whether they're in undergrad or they're in medical school, residency, um, they're postdocs or, or researchers, um, they are able to see that um, you can really do important things. Uh, one, one criteria I always have is that it should translate to just better patient outcomes, right? In the end, that's what we're trying to do. So at all levels, uh, of whether it's policymaking at the public health level, it is research and development, whether it's academics or industry, um, or, or our clinicians are very, very smart doctors uh, and other clinicians, their, their hard work, all of that should be felt that one, you can do and add things to your career that maybe you never thought of before, but also that um, what you're doing currently is playing a huge role in all of it. All right, wonderful, I love it. And Dr. Singh, what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Well, there's so many, but you know, when I sometimes when I just stop and think about it, I, somebody who's very close to me will, will always say to me, "Stay at it and be great," <laughs> you know. And I feel like it's it's a command, you know, stay at it. So whatever it is, and it applies to anything, because there are days when you're like, "God, this is," you know, you just want to throw up your hands, and it could apply to anything. And I like um, it. It's always a be great, you know, um, because that means um, you can be the better person, that means you can, um, you know, understand your patient, that means you can step up to the big task in front of you at HHS. Um, but I, I like simple things that I can just reach back to. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it is, uh, I think that just gives me the will and courage in, in a nutshell. Well, I love it because it's, it's simple, but it's still powerful. Like, that's an undeniable call to action. Stay at it and be great. So... Awesome. Mm -hmm. 
this is this is an interesting question I have for you next. It's something I threw in as a tester, but again, with your just diverse background, I'm I'm curious to kind of see where you land on this. But um, Dr. Singh, if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? Oh dear, that's <laughs> easy to say. What jobs would I not want? <laughs> no, I. <laughs> I I don't that's a hard question you're talking about right now at Stanford or maybe in the past. Um, no, I would take any of the top leadership positions um, at when things are great and then when things are tough, you know, say, hey, you want your job back. <laughs> um, no, I, I respect all of these positions and, and I enjoy leading initiatives and efforts. So I would say, you know, I love academics and I love teaching, but I also enjoy running an organization. So, you know, the top job, whether it's the hospital CEO or uh, even the dean level, but again, I'm saying that not because I actually literally want, I respect their work and I'm glad they're doing it. Uh, and I always try to see myself as someone, how can I help them? Uh, but, um, I think, you know, if you, if you just go to an, what's an ideal job, uh, that would be something where um, probably not dissimilar to what I had done in the past, but where you can impact health policy. I think we need to bring the health arena back to a more individualized, patient-centric model. And when we talk about health systems, they're important. You know, they have advantages like we see now when we're dealing with great issues, but ultimately it comes down to the individual patient and we have to be able to be not algorithmic in a sort of concrete manner, but have guidelines and then modify and customize to the individual person. And I think that's, that's something that's really necessary and someone who can understand how to do that. So uh, that would be kind of an ideal position is just kind of having the top job in policy and health policy. Okay, wonderful. Um, like I said, I, I was just curious because you, you've definitely encountered a lot from your path. So um, awesome, <laughs> awesome way to uh, handle that. Or, or maybe NFL commissioner. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, Dr. Sting, next question I have for you, but could you share with us a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading? Um, the original question is quality improvement initiatives, but again, if it's quality improvement or public health or policy, um, but what's a, a personal habit that you kind of bring to the table or kind of get into your, your um, you know, game zone, your, your best self? Yeah, ab so absolutely. I can think of a lot of things I need to improve, but I can tell you those things that are tried and true is um, I check and recheck um, lists. I have um, uh, one thing that I think I do well is I can quickly revamp and reprioritize based on the situation. So some things you ideally want to happen that are going to be long term, uh, you know how you can put those on the side when you have to address uh, more immediate real term things. It allows you to um, be responsive and help out when people need help. And that can be, that's a general thing. I mean, always be ready to help your, your colleagues or uh, friends. Um, and also recognize a situation that may not come up again. So I, I have this list and I look at it every day and I'm able to um, understand what is the important takeaway of the day. Um, and sometimes I will even, you know, put more pressure on myself to get some of the long-term things done. But I think ideally the best days that I'm on is when I know to how to prioritize those things. Um, so, and that's something that is a constant in motion thing. I'm getting better at doing it only at certain times of the day. I used to constantly look at that list, but that's, you know, too much. And I maybe had had to, depending on the a situational project or something like that. But in general, having those times and re reassessing, I think that's, that's really good. And by the way, that comes from having a planner, which to me is everything. I need to visually see what my week, my month, my day looks like. And I'm always looking at that and reassessing. Yeah, wonderful. So our next question, I'm curious to see if it's going to connect to your response there, but um, do you have a go-to website or mobile application that helps you execute on the work that you lead? Well, that's a really good question. I've used a couple of different applications. Um, 
I I think, you know, the calendars are supposed to be pretty good, but I do like the reminders on my app. Um, you know, the reminder app, it comes with the iPhone. That uh, is funny how I try to download other ones that sometimes are just not practical and don't think. But I really will tell you, I have gone from uh, having uh, more dependence on my calendar on my phone, which I do to some things for good reminders, to really um, writing things down um, because I can make comments and notes rather quickly. Uh, so I do both, um, but I'm much more uh, productive, if you will, from, from my planner. And that, you know, it's, it's not about being old school. I think it's about recognizing how uh, we work neurobiologically and what imprints on our brain and what are we able to retain and can, how do we quickly act. You, you're always acting slower than your brain is thinking. And so when you're typing in something into your calendar, sometimes that's good when you get an invitation, it's easy and you accept and it goes on there. But truly, there's a lot of thoughts that go in with a potential upcoming meeting or something that you've put on there. And I think just being able to quickly, rapidly just identify that allows you to be a lot more productive. I know that's pretty in the weeds, but I think it's something that we're always uh, grappling with and thinking about. And I'm open if any of your listeners have a great mobile app. I would love to know about things that help people. Yeah, well, that um, that question tends to get a lot of interesting replies. Um, I, I will say, Dr. Singh, I've recently just started using, um, I have an Android phone, a phone, and I've just started using the Bixby um, personal assistant, and I love it. Um, huh? So I haven't been on, huh? I, I haven't been an iPhone user in quite some time, but if you ever make the switch, Bixby is just the bomb, so. <laughs> is that right? Oh, well, thank you. That's like going to be the tip of the day. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so the next question I have for you is, could you please share with our audience um, a professional society and a professional conference that you think would be a value add? And this oh, is, of yeah, course, thinking that's... once we get past social distancing. So, Yes, yes, of course. I mean, and I've gone to so many, but I think the, um, the ASSO conference, since most of your audience is public health, the American, um, uh, I forget what it is, state and territory uh, organization, ASPHO, A-S-P-H-O, um, and they really are a premier uh, organization. I'm going to actually look it up as I'm talking to you so I can give you an uh, organization. Here we go. And uh, they, uh, national, yes, yeah, so it's the Association um, on State and Territory, Association of State and Territorial Health Officials. And it represents the public health agencies of all 50 states in the United States. That is, I think, a very important one. Um, if you um, note also those at HHS and the public health realm, but also, of course, from across the United States, that's where they make their presentations and their abstracts. And you, know, you can get a sense of not only um, what are the major trends, but really what are the specific efforts going on. Awesome. That is definitely a new one for me. Um, can't wait to get that out. Uh, I will say, you know, I guess the majority of our audience are still hospital-based, so I think that'll be a good one to plug in from the public health point of view. So awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Singh, if you could recommend only one book to our quality people, what would it be and why? Well, the book that I love to go to, I love lots of different books, um, but Daring Greatly by Brene Brown is the one that I actually have with me often and I'll just kind of turn to a page and find something about it, you know, in it um, that, you know, kind of helps you re retain that courage, you know, the boldness, the courage and, um, and humility. Um, but really, I, I believe in that philosophy in general, daring greatly, and, and what makes us able to do that, because you have to often be willing to go against the herd. And that takes courage. Um, you know, sometimes things, um, people react and then the pendulum swings and you have to be able to be a person who can bring that pendulum back to balance. And that 
has to occur sooner rather than later. Um, so you have to be willing to be out there and speak scientifically but compassionately about an issue um, and, and have the courage to do so, even when there are folks who are, you know, on the other end of it. Well, and Dr. Singh, it's okay to uh, pay you a compliment. Uh, again, you know, I try to research as many of my guests um, in advance, and I had a chance to watch a few of your videos through YouTube on different speeches and things you've given. And I think that book recommendation just really exemplifies the leader that I saw through those videos as well. So, um, so I think that's spot on, and I can see how you have really embodied a lot of that. So perfect. It's a perfect um suggestion. I love that book personally, but I see it reflected in the things that I've had a chance to view on you through the internet, at least. Well, thank you. That That is very nice of you. Very kind. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And Dr. Singh, we are right there at our very last question, but this is kind of a, a personal favor because I am now going to try to get you to reflect on your past while you look forward to your future. So let's say that you have an opportunity to send yourself one text message to yourself 10 years in the future and one text message to yourself 10 years in the past. Take a second to think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? Okay, so I have this plan, but I kind of already said it, but I, I'll just tell you what I, I, I be the real deal. You know, that's, that's what I would send both ways. Nice. Well, it, it constantly kind of gets updated as you continue to learn and grow. So I'll allow it. It works both ways. <laughs> and not to forget it, right? Because sometimes um, some actions you feel you may have to take, um, but you should always just be true to who you are and be true to what you are doing. Be the expert. You don't have to look like the expert. Just be the expert. And then all of everything else follows. Um, make it a point to be the balanced one uh, with integrity, then you're, that, that follows, you know. Even when sometimes it seems like it's not advantageous to, um, you know, stay scientific or, or, you know, whatever it is, whatever the pressure may be, um, avoid it and, and stay real and true to yourself. I think the things that we're looking for in life that give us satisfaction in our professional, personal space come with that. And there's no shortcut to it. Even if you think you're getting a shortcut, that usually comes back to bite you. So it's, it's, a, it's an important thing to be reminded. Uh, and that's what I would keep saying to myself, because it then tells me why, why I am where I am and stay on it. That's wonderful, wonderful advice. And uh, Dr. Singh, again, I, I appreciate just all your words of wisdom and our time today. Um, I appreciate you for just blessing um, this podcast with all of um, all of your experience and knowledge. Um, we'll go ahead and uh, to move us into kind of our wrap up piece. But before I end this call with you, Dr. Singh, I'd love for you to give our, our audience that parting piece of advice. Um, share with us the best way to follow or connect with you through social media, and then we'll officially sign off. Certainly. Um, so uh, I'm on Twitter at Vanilla Singh, and I'm on LinkedIn, Vanilla Singh also. Um, and uh, I have a website that just finally just got up. Uh, I had one before, and I'd taken that down while I was in the government. And so this one has some stuff that I've been involved in, and we'll be updating some of the uh, other efforts. Uh, but certainly would love folks to reach out. Uh, and you can direct message me on any of the social medium. And um, I think there'll be a place to reach out on the website too. All right, wonderful. And would it give information about upcoming speaking engagements since you do uh, a bit of public speaking? Absolutely. You know what though? All of them have been canceled. So I had many. Oh, um, I, yes, I literally was doing like one grand rounds. I was speaking at the American Society of Interventional Pain physicians on their, um, in their general session on, on, you know, best practices for the nation. And I was also doing a substance abuse panel. Um, I was uh, speaking uh, here at Stanford for, uh, we were having folks come from around the world on uh, our ultrasonography and interventional procedures. And my, my colleague is organizing it. So I agreed to be the keynote there. And then that is also canceled. And then the California Society of Anesthesia 
had asked me to also present the best practices there. And uh, so those all of them in a row were canceled. Uh, so it's interesting. That's why, you know, there's also some found time. Uh, but I will keep that updated. Um, I, I, in fact, think I just learned yesterday that my May conference, we're having a, uh, the, uh, the American Association of Chronic Integrated Pain Management the nonprofit group that I sit on the board of, they were having their policy congress in Kansas in May. That's canceled. Uh, I was just going to speak there. So I would love to come on and share some of that stuff at some point if you'll have me back, Jarvis, because I have a feeling we have a lot more we can talk about. Well, so I, I'm glad this is a recorded call because I'm going to hold you to that, Dr. Singh. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you are abs absolutely welcome back um, to our uh, quality people, I definitely encourage you to look up Dr. Singh's, Singh's information that she shared um, and follow her, check out some of the YouTube videos. Like I said, just really imp um, impressed with the things that I learned from those very, you know, short videos that I found on YouTube, Dr. Singh. But um, again, I thank you for this call and this opportunity to speak and learn more about you. Um, to our quality people everywhere, thank you all for listening and making us a part of our day. Uh, excuse me, a part of your day, not a part of our day. Um, but this is Jarvis and Dr. Singh. We're officially signing off. Thank you. Right. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Quality Cast, brought to you by the Quality Coaching Company. If you love the Healthcare Quality Cast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review. Until next time.